Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Amen. We began our series on the book of Genesis months and months and months ago. And we began this series asking some essential questions. The essential questions were, who am I? What's the point of everything? Why am I here? And I've argued that these questions are not just questions for the church to ask. These are questions that everybody, everywhere, in every culture, ask in some form or manner. And these are questions that are complex. And they deserve complex answers. And so I've always, it's always bothered me that people of faith, no matter what tradition, sometimes their answer to these complex questions, the answer is this, just, just believe in God. If you just believe in God, it's all going to work out. And it, I, it bothers me because how do you know if your belief in God is not just some figment of your imagination? How do you know if, you're not just, if it's not just being all made up? And there's just so many different versions. There's so many different... Uh, views out there. How do you know? And I would argue that the way that you, you can only know is that you actually need an actual relationship. There has to be an experience. There has to be an encounter in your life. And the question is, well, how do we actually get that? And I think Genesis, it starts with the bigger questions, but as it moves on, it starts showing us the answer is this encounter. The answer is this experience with God. Many of us, I don't think, have ever really stopped fully to kind of ask these bigger questions. Part of it is not, it's not because they're not important. It's just because life gets going and there's a lot of things thrown at us and there's a lot of entertainment out there and there's a lot of views and there's a lot of content. And we just don't even know where to start. But I think our text today, I think this particular story helps us. It gives us a starting place about how to have this experience of God, how to have this encounter with God. So let's look at this in three ways. Let's look at 
who is this man wrestling with Jacob? Who is Jacob wrestling this man? And then lastly, what would wrestling look like in our life? I'll say it again. Who is this man wrestling Jacob? First question. Second question is, who is Jacob who's wrestling this man? And then lastly, what would this wrestling look like in our life? All right, first, who's this man wrestling Jacob? If you go in the text, it's actually pretty mysterious. So many commentaries, so much ink has been spilled about the mystery shrouding this story. Now, notice in verse 22, it says that this happens at night. It also says, I think in, in 24, Jacob was alone. He had sent his wife, he had sent his family, he had sent all his possessions on ahead of him. And he had done this because he was worried that his, his brother that he was estranged from, that he had cheated and lied and stealed from, was coming after him. He, he, he had reports that him and 400 men were coming toward him. Jacob being the planner, being the shrewd person, he said, well, listen, I got to break up my possessions. I got to break up all my stuff and send it in different directions. That way, if they capture one group, they might not capture the other group. At the same time, he starts sending waves of gifts towards Esau. He sends cattle, and he sends donkey, and sheep, and goats. He's trying to pacify his brother, because in the, at the end of the day, he thought his biggest problem was his brother. He thought the, the, the stress, the problem in his life was that his brother was going to come after him. In fact, not in our passage, but uh, like 11 verses before, he's praying to God. He's saying, God, this is what he says, God, please save me from the hands of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he's going to attack me. That's pretty clear what he thinks the problem is. Interestingly, ironically, the thing that happens to him instead, where he's struggling for his life, is this mysterious man comes into his presence and wrestles him. And he thinks it's a man. We think it's a man because of what the text says. Until we see three things. And Jacob sees three things here. Number one, verse 25. At first it seems like it's just a normal person. But then, right, it says he can't overcome Jacob. But then all of a sudden, by the mere touch on the hip socket, boom. The hip blows up, shatters. And so this is not like a, a punch or uh, the, 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 the word is, is a touch. So there's immense supernatural power that this individual is not using, number one. Number two, it also says and alludes to at first that this man's trying to leave before daybreak so that you can't see his face. And in verse 30, Jacob notes that no one can look on the face of God and live. It makes a connection there. And then lastly, uh, in verse 28, it just kind of comes out and says, it, that you've struggled with God, that this is a physical representation of God. So who is this man? It is a physical re- representation of God. And you say, okay, well, so what? Let me just give you two quick implications. Two implications here. Number one, when God comes and meets you, he tends to do it, at least from this text, when you're alone. When God comes and meets you, he tends to do it when you're by yourself. See, Jacob is freaking out He's alone physically, but I would argue he's alone emotionally. He's alone spiritually right now. And yet it seems to be, and you can, if you take the entire biblical text as well, it seems to be it's in the wilderness. It's in spaces of aloneness that God comes and meets you. 
And so if you want to meet God, so I, I hear this all the time from folks, if you want to meet God, do you put yourself in quiet spaces? Or are you always listening to your headphones? Are you always turning on the music? Are you always busy, busy, busy so that you go all day long with some sort of interaction, some sort of stimulus, and then you go to bed and you, and you never put yourself in a place of aloneness, of reflection, because we're always in a space of distractedness. Yeah, I, I, um, no, I'll put it another way. You might think that your life is falling apart right now. You might think that you can't get a breath. But that actually might be a place where actually, that God can meet you. Or look at it from the other side. Look at it from the other way. Some folks complain. They say, God, I can, I, you know, I believe in God, but I can't feel his presence. I hear that a lot as a, as a minister. I feel like, you know, I, I ask where God is. Where is God? I'm looking around for him. But I'm not sure we put ourselves in undistracted places to hear from him. Right? How can you talk to God if you can't actually hear him? How, how can you meet him if you're not ever paying attention? And I'm not just asking this to you. I'm, asking, I'm telling this to myself. Go one step further, and maybe we should start seeing our plights and our hardships and the hurts. Maybe we should start seeing those as actually opportunities for God to meet us. When people say, why isn't he meeting us? Look into your life, look at your life, look around your life, and look for that aloneness to meet him. Because you tend to hear God the most when you need him the most. That's what I see over and over and over again in my own life. I see it in everybody else's life. I see it right here in Jacob's life. And so are you listening or are you too distracted? Are you thinking about what's for lunch? Are you thinking about what am I going to do next? Are you thinking about the next week? Are you giving yourself the mental and emotional and spiritual space to meet him? Number one. Second implication is that when he meets you, when it, he actually comes in contact with you, it might not be what you expect, but it's what you need. It might not be what you expect, but it's what you need. Look at the text again. Jacob, I, I didn't print the whole, the whole chapter, but earlier, Jacob was praying to God. He was talking to God. I said how he was praying to God about Esau, but he actually heard from God, hey, go back to the land of your father. And Jacob's responding. Jacob is listening. Jacob is doing. Does God show up here and go, you know what? Jacob, sweet Jacob, thank you for listening to me. Thank you for, for doing what I ask. Thank you for responding to me. No, you know what God does? He wrestles him to the ground, punches him in the face, puts him in a headlock, body slams him. Uh, Graham over here said, I love wrestling. He saw lots and lots of that growing up. That's what God does to him. And when it's all over, when the sun rises, Jacob's lame for the rest of his life. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? Have you ever prayed, dear God, I pray your will is done? Have you ever prayed, dear God, you know what? I don't care what it takes. Show me your face, even if it's hard, even if it hurts. That, to be honest, I'm, again, looking at myself, that's a scary prayer. That is a hard prayer. And the reason why it's scary and hard is that... What if he actually answers me? What if the answer is something I don't understand? What if the answer is something I don't like? 
I would argue maybe you have a bad prayer life, not because you don't believe in God, not because you don't know if God actually exists. Maybe you're afraid to have a prayer life because you worry that he actually does exist, but he's not going to answer in the way that you want him to answer. See, I think modern people, we know what modern people love? We love to think of God and conceive of God as God is love. God is peace. God is loving peace. You know, some sort of tranquility. I don't think we see that here. You know what we see here? We see God body slamming Jacob. Boom. Traditional cultures like to think of God as strict, the authoritarian that, you know, there's these laws and you, you need to obey and you need to, to toe the line, and you need to do, and if you do it all right, if you do it just perfectly, then God's going to give you what you want. Jacob was obeying. Jacob was responding, and he's wrestled to the ground. God blows up his life. And so I would argue this is actually good news. You know why? This is proof that we can't put God in a box. See, how, how, to the question, how do you know that actually God exists? How do you know that you really don't have a made-up God but a real God? The answer is, God doesn't respond the way that you would want him to respond. That you, we have a real God, not a, a, a tame God. So that means he might not give us what we expect, but he does give us what we need. And if that's true, you know what you should do? You should expect the unexpected in your life. You should expect that you're not going to see what you want. First thing we have when we meet the real God. Who is this God? He meets you alone. Expect the unexpected. He doesn't give us necessarily what we want, but he gives us what we need. Number one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or QR, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Number two. Well, then who is this Jacob who's wrestling God? I said earlier that a lot of commentaries had problems with this. What does it mean that in here that he could not overcome Jacob? This is verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, people were freaked out about that. What is it? You know, have you ever heard, if you ever want to have a dumb question about God, ask yourself this. Can God create a rock that he couldn't pick up? It's one of those like, kind of, huh, I don't know. Is that possible? You know, it's, a, it's one of those kind of questions that people ask. Like, is this possible that God could actually, you know, not overpower him? And the answer is, well, of course he could. Because if he just touched the hip socket, he was toast. So what a lot of folks are starting to have, have pointed out is that, no, this isn't overcome physically. This is a, a comment about Jacob's relentlessness. This is a comment about Jacob. Jacob would not stop. He would not stop struggling. I lived in this town long enough. Um, I don't know if you've noticed. I think I, I have. I think I can prove this. The smaller the dog, the more they bark, and the louder they bark. You know, you, you kind of, sometimes you've done this. You, you turn the corner and you hear this, and, you're like, and then you see it's like this big. It's like it, it's really, really small. And you'll see these dogs. 
barking at these huge, big dogs, just like, and you're like, that dog over there can like break you in half. You don't even know it, but, but those dogs, they're, they're relentless. They, they're after, they do it over and over and over again. Jacob is a small dog. Jacob is a relentless individual who is persistent, who is unrelenting. He's barking and snarling all the time. And you should ask, why? Why is Jacob that way? He's that way because he can't stop, won't stop. He's that way because Jacob has always been that way. He's never stopped. He's always been relentless. Scheming, cheating. From the minute he was born, he was holding on his brother's ankle, grabbing at his brother, taking from his brother, taking his food, taking his birthright, desiring his father's blessing, trying to win at possessions with Laban, trying to win at life with, with a, a beautiful wife, trying to win at, at, at everything. And so what's interesting here is this is not the first time that he's been wrestling with God. The truth is, is that he's been wrestling with God his entire life. And he never knew it until about now. See, I think somewhere in the middle of the night, something must have dawned on Jacob where he realized, wait a second, I've been seeking a source of blessing my entire life, and I finally found it. I, I've been wanting you. You are who I've wanted. And I never knew it. See, I think Jacob re- thought, I thought I was wrestling the world. I thought I was struggling for love. I thought I was fighting with my parents. I thought I was just grasping at life. But actually, it turns out the entire time, really, I only ever needed and wanted you. And I didn't know it. I've been trying to get the blessing from others that only God could actually give. No wonder he wouldn't let go. The reason why he didn't let go in this moment is that I think he finally realized, wait a second, this is what I've always wanted, this is what I've always needed, and it didn't matter how much it hurt, it didn't matter how tired and exhausted he was, he refused to let go because he finally saw that's the blessing I really need. And you want to know something cool? I've been thinking about this all week. Did God refuse this blessing? Did he say, you know what, you've been going after, did he say, he had all the right in the world, God could have said, you know what, you didn't want me ever. He never wanted me. Why should I give it to you now? Instead, it's like almost immediately God gives him the blessing. In verse 29, Jacob says, please. And then the man says he blessed him there, right there on the spot. And another cool thing. Do you want to know what the nature of the blessing is? We don't actually know. We're not told. It's so intimate, so cool that actually when God blesses, he doesn't necessarily tell everybody else. It's something special between you in him. A few weeks ago, I was rereading uh, the C.S. Lewis Narnia book, um, a Horse and His Boy. And at the end of the book, Shasta meets Aslan the lion, and Aslan in, in Narnia it represents Jesus. And Shasta's telling this tale to Aslan, saying, let me tell you about my life. Here's, what, here's how my life has gone. It, you know, I was born, adri- I was adrift in a in a uh, raft, and I came ashore randomly. I showed up. A, a fisherman raised me as his own. But I, I've been chased by lions my whole life. I was forced to swim a couple back there um, against my will. There was these beasts howling at me in the desert, and a lion even clawed and, and maimed my traveling partner. And things in my life have not gone well. And so he goes to Aslan and says, 
isn't it terrible? Haven't I, this is what he says. He says, don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions in my life? And Aslan says, there are not a lot of lions in your life. There was only one, and it was me. And Aslan goes on and says, I was the lion who forced you to join others. I was the lion who comforted you at night. I was the lion who drove the jackals away. I was the one who even scared you to get the strength up to go. I was even the one who pushed you ashore so that you could live as a baby and you didn't even know it. I think Shasta, Shasta, see, he thought his whole life he had been trying to get blessing from all the people around him, but actually at the end of the day, he didn't know it, but he needed the blessing of Aslan, and even crazier, he already had it. And he didn't know it. And so I I don't know if you know what this means, but this means is this. You thought your whole life you were wrestling for that promotion. You thought your whole life that you were wrestling for happiness. You thought your whole life you've been wrestling to find that special someone who just might love you. And at the end of the day, what you don't know, what you haven't figured out yet, is maybe, just maybe, that you've been really wrestling God. And so the secret to having an experience of God, the secret to breaking the enslavement that we have every single day of getting it through our jobs and through our parents and our needs and our wants, it's not looking for blessing in this world. As good as the blessings of the world are, it's finding in Him. We must, we have to realize all approval that we've been really, really looking for is found and fulfilled in Him. And here's the test. The test to know if you've done this, the test to know if you actually have an experience of God in your life, is you say at some level, you say at the end of the day, as important as all these other things are, I have to have His blessing. I have to have him in my life. I will die without it. I need it that much. And so I take that and I look at it into my own life and I say, is that how I operate? Is that how I live my life? Is that how I structure my day? Do I prioritize my time in this way? See, I think God is answering our prayers, but he's not answering them necessarily in the way that we would want them answered. Like Shasta, God is in your life and he might not be helping you get that blessing that you think that you want and you need, he is helping you and giving you the blessing that you need. And so when you say, I want the blessing of marriage, I want the blessing of of money, I want the blessing of comfort, power, approval, control, those are nice. But what you really need is him. All those other things, they can't save you, they can't can't comfort you, they can't give you what you need, but but he can give you that. And it's his care, and it's his kindness, and it's his tenderness, and it's his relationship. That's what we have to hold on tight. So last point. Most of us don't functionally live this way. Most of us don't structure our lives looking for his blessing. At least not actively. Maybe theoretically, maybe intellectually, but not actively. And so the last question is, is what would wrestling look like in our life? How do we get the, this blessing, not, just, not to just make this blessing real in our life, how do we even get the want of his blessing? Because I think that's one of our, our bigger problems. And I think the answer actually is back in our text, and it's in the story. The late seminary professor, Ed Clowney, says it, it has to do with the wrestling match. As a, I don't know about you, I'm, compet, I'm a pretty competitive person, and um, when I see a wrestling match, I want to know who won. Who won this match? 
See, it's interesting. Jacob thinks God won. He actually talks about it. He says, you know what? I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. That's somebody who sounds like, whoo, <laughs> I lucked out. I'm, I'm lucky to be alive. He thinks God won. But interestingly, God actually thinks Jacob won. Now, this is in verse 28. He says, Jacob, you struggled with God and with humans, and you've overcome. So God actually thinks Jacob won. And Clowney, his point is, he says, actually, they both won. But they both won by losing. See, Jacob won the blessing of God, but he lost forever. Now he limps. Right? There's a, there's a maimness to him. But what about God? If God had, had physically won the match, he would have destroyed Jacob, which means that he would have lost because that was not his purpose. His purpose was to save Jacob from Jacob. But the only way he was going to be able to do that is he, the only way he could win would be by losing as well. What do I mean? If you go to Hosea 12, verse 4, this story is actually brought up. Hosea brings up this, this exact event, but describes it as Jacob wrestling an angel. Which is interesting because if you go here in this text, in Genesis, it says here that it's actually God. Wait a second. How could Jacob be wrestling an angel sent by God, but also God himself. How could Jacob be resting a physical representation of God, but actually God that is not able to be contained in a physical representation? It was a mystery for a very, very long time until you get to the New Testament, where you have Jesus saying, I, am being, I have been sent by God, from God, and am God, the second person of the Trinity. Which means then, put Jesus here. As this physical representation of God, the angel of God, what Jesus must have seen, he must have seen Jacob walk away with a limp, thinking, wait a second, the only way this man can live, the only way this man could go on, for me to save him, it's not to wrestle him to the ground. It's not to, to come down here and tell everybody to shape up or ship out, which, by the way, would work. Why? Because... It would get rid of the evil, get rid of the, 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 the suffering, get rid of the uh, scheminess of humanity. Everybody in this room, at various, maybe not like Jacob, but you're doing various things to actually get what you think that you need, to get what you think that you want. And if, the, if through that, that's causing evil, if all the humans scheming in the different ways that we do, if all of us are looking for blessing in the wrong places— how could Jesus wipe away evil without wiping us away? How is that going to be possible? The only way for Jesus to win is by losing. See, Jacob wrestled in the dark. He was wounded to get a blessing for himself. Jesus also wrestled in the dark and was wounded, but also maimed. But also worse, he died and was killed to get the blessing not for himself, but for us. Jacob, Jacob says, I saw God and I lived when he should have died. Because Jesus at the end of his life saw God as well, but he died so that we could live. He gets the full-blown death and destruction that we deserve. Jacob won by losing because he, and he gets the blessing for, of God for himself, but Jesus won by losing and got the blessing of God for everyone else.
And so if you want to know how you can have this in your life, it's very simple. Jacob couldn't believe that he lived despite his failures, but we can believe despite our failures and live if we put our life in Jesus' life. If Jesus wins by losing and you place your life in his life, now guess what? You get to win by losing as well. What are you willing to win by by losing? What are you willing to give up to get him that then you would never lose again? I would argue if you turn to him, if you throw yourself on him, if you screw down into the depths of your heart and in your life, his love for you, not your love for him, his love for you, no temporal blessing, no temporal affliction would ever be able to take that away from you. Look, they, actually, the next, it's not in our text, but the next thing that happens to him is he comes in confrontation with Esau. And now he's in, guess what? He's, he cannot run away. He is limp. He, he is not able to, to scheme. He's not able to do the things that he used to be able to do. But you know what? Because he had relationship with God, no matter what he had to face going forward, no matter what we have to face, no matter what our challenges are, come what may, your darkest hour can have the blessing of Jesus. And that will bring light. Um, to end, let me, try to, let me try to make this more practical. Let me give you three quick, quick signs that you, that you might have this in your life. Number one, do you have a limp? This is a scary question, and I, I've been, it's bothered me all week. Where's my limp? Because that's one of the ways that you know that you have an experience of God. A limp humbles you. It reminds you that you, with every step, with a limp, you're remembering your need. Jacob had it with his hip. Paul had it with a thorn in his flesh. He, they, they both said, we don't want this. But it allowed them to have an experience of God. It allowed them to remember, I can't rely on myself solely. I have to rely on him. I think this is what happens. If over t- what happens with relationship with God over time, the more you see him, the more that you know him, there's a sweetness and a joy and a contentment. I want you to have that. But there's also a realness and there's a uh, a holy humility. Uh, there's a, the, a lack of boasting, a recognition of our failures that, that allows you to have a, a godly limp. Because now there's less assurance of yourself. There's less reliance on yourself. There's less confidence on yourself fully. Right? One who has their sins forgiven is able to forgive a lot. But I'd argue you also are more reflective and careful and pensive, less sure, and that's a limp. See, I would argue Jacob no longer can ever be mistaken to be sturdy Esau. And that was the best thing for him. So the question is, is where's your limp? Do you even have one? Do you even know, what's yours look like? Number one. Number two, where, one of the ways that you know this is in your life is that God's putting things out of disjoint. What do I mean by that? Where might God be dislocating your plans that are painful, but it's so that you'll stop looking for blessing away from the blesser? Where might God might be throwing a wrench in your plans for what you think that you need, but actually it's so that you need him more? See, I would argue that's actually you, that moment of realization is a place where you could have an experience with God. So that you would stop struggling. So, that, in, in other words, 
where you realize that the loss and the setback and the disappointment can lead you to a place where you're alone with God to meet God, but those setbacks and those failures and those hardships, all the sicknesses and hurts of the world are an opportunity to seek his blessing and not the blessing of something else. Lastly, have you ever, and this, is, this actually came to me last night, I was thinking about this. Have you ever wondered that why people do extreme sports? You see this on videos now, you see this on social media, people skydiving and people hang gliding and people, I don't know, have you seen them, they put on these like suits, they look like flying squirrels, they jump off the, 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 these um, cliffs and they're just like going back and you're like, what, which one of those is not going to make it, you know? Have you ever wondered why they do that? If you ask them, if you watch the interviews, what they'll tell you is that there's some kinds of beauty that you can only observe by doing it in this way. And therefore, they would actually say the risk is worth, it's worth it because of what they could actually see. And I go, oh my gosh, that's the same thing here. That coming in contact with the real God is actually really risky. You can be lamed by it, but... If there are people out there that are willing to risk their physical lives for the glory of what they can only be seen in that way, it's definitely worth the risk to your spiritual life to come in contact with the glory of God that you can only find in Him. It's worth the risk to get the joy, to get the glory. Friends, last thing to say, don't just try to know a lot about God. Know God. Hold on to Him for dear life. And when you find him, when you grab him, grab that ankle and stay. It might be hard. It might be hurt. But don't let go until you get that blessing. And notice that blessing. I'll tell you what that blessing is not. It's not a hip that works. It's not possessions. It's not relationships. It's not a dad. It's not a mom. It's not a spouse. It's better. And that, what that means is I don't care how weak you right now feel or how tired or how alone If you hold on to him, you'll be strong. You'll stop struggling. You'll stop wrestling. Because God is out to bless you through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would receive this blessing. I pray that we would, you know, we're all here in different spaces. We're all here in different moments. We're all here with ups and downs. I don't care if we think we're a success in life. I don't care if we think we're a failure in life. I pray that we would seek you. I pray that we would see that all the things that we are been striving for are actually just, it's really just for you we've been looking for. We didn't even know it. I pray that you'd come into our lives in a profound and spiritual way. Blow up our paradigms. Blow up our excuses. Blow up our self-salvation paradigms. Help us to see the beauty of you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.